Welcome to the preaching and teaching ministry of Mary and Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. We're continuing tonight in our Bible study series on the life of Peter. We've subtitled it From Fisherman to Follower of Jesus. This is actually lesson number 15. Um, In case you're wondering, where are we at in the life of Peter? Well, we're getting very close to the end of what we have in Scripture, which is what we're studying. I haven't looked ahead to see how many more lessons we have left, but it's not 15, I can tell you that. All right? But there are some other good stories yet to come about Peter's life. And um, we've come a long way with Peter. We've come through the whole, from the very beginning, when Jesus called him all the way through all the things he said and did, some good, some bad, some right, some wrong, uh, always zealous, always energetic, sometimes making mistakes and sometimes getting it right with God's help, and uh, all the way through his denial, but also the crucifixion and resurrection and Jesus forgiving him and restoring him and calling him to ministry. And we've been several lessons now into the book of Acts when Peter is emerging now as the leader of the church. He always was kind of the unofficial, undeclared leader of the 12 disciples, but now he's the leader of the church. And so tonight, the title of our lesson is Overcoming Intimidation. Okay, there's some people that are deliberately trying to intimidate Peter and John. And you're, some of you may be familiar with the story. If you're not, we're going to read it. But before we jump into the story, let's talk about this. What does, what does intimidation mean? What is intimidation? What did you say? Somebody trying to silence you, or what was the first thing you said? Scare you. Okay. You know, the definite, John. A form of bullying. Yes, that was the word I came up with, bully. Somebody, you know, forcing you, whatever, you know, their will on you, whatever. Chris? David and Goliath. Goliath definitely was intimidating, wasn't he? Yes, yes. You know, the definition is actually in the word, intimidation, timid. To try to make you timid, to make you fearful, to make you back off, okay? Um, You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to give a testimony. Has anybody ever tried to intimidate you? Anybody ever tried to bully you? You know, I mean, there's nothing to be ashamed of. You know, unfortunately, bullying is a big deal in schools, and we pray about that a lot for our young people. Okay. Has anybody ever tried to intimidate you for being a Christian? Yeah, yeah. Um, under what conditions would someone try to intimidate a Christian? Okay. What are some other circumstances under which somebody might want to try to intimidate a Christian? John. Okay. Yeah, I mean, anybody that has a non-Christian worldview, that's a great example. College professors, you know, we hear a lot of testimonies, stories from college campuses where they have a non-Christian worldview and Christians come in and they try to intimidate them. And that's one of several reasons why students who go off to college really struggle with their faith because they are probably more often than not um, confronted with, with teachers that hold an, an opposing worldview to Christianity than the one that holds one uh, that holds a Christian worldview. Yeah, Chris. Um, yeah, that's really the root issue, isn't it? Spiritual warfare. You know, if we are believers, we have Christ living within us, and we take a stand for God, for what the Bible says, for the truth of God's word, for our faith, 
you know, that kind of stuff that uh, anyone who might be under the influence, I don't mean demon-possessed, but under the influence of this world, which is under the influence of the enemy who's against us, um, is going to react to that and push back. Um, yes, Janet? Yes. People of a different religious persuasion will try to say that you are wrong. Now, you know, just to be honest, don't we try to do the same thing? Of course, it depends on how you do it. We should not be doing it through intimidation, but out of love and sharing the good news. Okay, um, That's a little bit different. If we are trying to influence people of other different religious persuasion through intimidation, we're doing it, going about it the wrong way. Yeah, Felix, I'm going to take your comment, then I'm going to move on, because otherwise we won't get through the Bible study. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's right. You're right. And, you know, as Felix said, they'll, they'll use all different kinds of uh, means to do so, not just their own opinions, their own personalities, but quoting science and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, anytime a believer tries to take a stand for God or faith or beliefs or, or a lifestyle, especially when they're contrary to popular culture or belief um, or sharing the gospel, there's a pushback, right? Um, we're all aware that Christians all around the world today and Christians all through history have faced intimidation. It's often called persecution for their faith. We've just been very fortunate that up to this point in history, anyway, we have not had to face very much persecution. All right? We may have faced little bits and pieces of it in school or at work or, or pushback, whatever, but compared to most Christians through history and, and in the world, we've had it relatively easy. But, you know, it goes back to what Chris was saying, the spiritual warfare. Satan uses fear and intimidation to try to keep us as believers from fully following Jesus and living it out and sharing our faith. Okay? You know, anytime you see believers really trying to live out their faith and make a difference in their world, share the gospel, um, impact their culture, the enemy is going to stir up fierce opposition. And that's what we see in the book of Acts. Okay? You know, the last several lessons we've looked at the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. Power. Peter preaches. People getting saved. All right? And... Um, uh, the story we're getting ready to follow up on when him and John are on their way to the temple and there's the lame man begging and God just, the Holy Spirit just moves on Peter and says, listen, I don't have any money, but I got something you need. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And the man gets up and walks and he leaps and he's praising God. This big crowd gathers and Peter begins to preach and he talks about, hey, listen, you guys, that guy that you crucified, <laughs> he's the Messiah, you know, he's the Savior. And, you know, he, he, he preaches this message, and people's hearts are convicted. You know, on the day of Pentecost, says 3,000 people are saved. It says, after this event, we're going to read it tonight, that the, the number of believers now comes up to 5,000 men plus the women and the children, you know. And um, up to this point, there hasn't been a lot of pushback, you know, other than on the day of Pentecost. Well, you guys are drunk. No, we're not drunk. But we're going to start seeing pushback in the story we're going to look at tonight. But as we look at this story, we want to see how it applies to our lives too. And that is, how are we going to respond when the enemy comes against us and he uses other people? And they try to intimidate us when we face that. Are we going to yield to fear or are we going to find a way to overcome it? And that's why the title of the lesson is Overcoming Intimidation. We're going to see what Peter and John did. Um, after looking at the actual story and how we can apply that to our lives. So anyway, great things are happening in the early church. 
But it doesn't take too long for this intimidation, this persecution to begin. And when you read through the book of Acts, it's a constant tension between God doing phenomenal things and people pushing back. You know, when you get into the story of Paul, which we're studying the life of Peter, so we're not going to do that in this study. But Paul's traveling, preaching the gospel. People are getting saved. People are being healed. But there's also riots. He's being stoned. (laughs) He's being run out of town. You know, the intimidation, the pushback is there. All right? So um, we're going to jump into the story here in Acts chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 32. We're going to read most of that, although we're going to skim the ending of it just a little bit. But as I said, this takes place right at the tail end of Peter preaching that sermon in the temple right after the lame man has been healed, okay? So we're going to look at this story first, and then we're going to talk about the application. But there's, uh, I think, five parts I have here to the story. And the first one is Peter and John are arrested. I would say that's some intimidating stuff, right? Look at chapter 4, verses 1. As they were speaking to the people, again, the context, Peter's preaching after um, the lame man is healed. And basically, the message is still the same. Hey, guys, you know, you're wondering how this guy got healed. It isn't us. It's Jesus, you know, the guy you crucified. <laughs> and you crucified him, but God raised him up, and he's the Savior, he's the Messiah, and if you turn to him, you can be saved. Okay? And that's what he's been preaching. So, verse 1 again. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them, put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. So they're in the temple preaching, and here comes this group of religious leaders and officials. It mentions specifically the Sadducees, all right? Um, You know, read a lot about the Sadducees, the Pharisees. We've talked about them a number of times The Pharisees were the very devout, zealous God-believers. They were very much about, God said it, I believe it, let's do it. All right? We often look at them as the bad guys, but in their culture, they were the good guys. They wanted to do what God said to do. The problem was they went too far. They made up a whole bunch of rules and laws that God didn't make up, made it burdensome for the people to try to live up to. They became very hypocritical. They became very prideful, looked down on everybody else because nobody else was as spiritual as they were, and it was a real problem. But they believed in God's word and everything that God taught, the whole Old Testament. The Sadducees was another group, and they were a, quote, religious group, but religion wasn't all that important to them, even though they were the main leaders. They were the elite. They were the rich. They were the rulers. They were the ones that were in charge. Okay, and they only believed in what was taught in the first five books of the Bible. Okay, and since the first five books don't talk much about life after death or angels, they didn't believe in the supernatural. They didn't believe in the miracle miracles. They didn't believe in life after death. That's why they were sad. You see, that's not how they got the name, but that's how you can remember who they are. Okay, (laughs) the Sadducees. Um, they didn't like the Romans being in charge, but the Romans left them alone and let them rule. So they didn't want any kind of problems with the Romans. All right? All right. So it says that the Sadducees came up. They were the ones that are in charge. And um, uh, the priests, you know, those are the ones that serve in the temple. And it says the captain of the temple, um, he had the most authority of anybody except for the chief priest. He was basically uh, the chief of police 
for the temple, all right? He was in charge of making sure that order was kept in the temple, all right? And it says they're annoyed, they're upset, they're angry, they're disturbed, they're irritated. A couple of reasons. Number one, because Peter and John are teaching. That's not their job, okay? In their culture, you didn't teach unless you were a rabbi. You had a religious, formal religious instruction, all right? They're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And not only that, what they were teaching, they were teaching on the resurrection. Remember I said the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. They're the ones that asked Jesus the question about, you believe in the resurrection? How can the resurrection be true because you had this woman and this man that got married and he died and she married his, you know, whose husband or whose wife is she going to be in the resurrection? You can read about that later. And of course, Jesus had all the right answers. But um, they're very, very upset, and they're concerned because they thought they dealt with this. You know, Jesus was causing problems. They had him put to death. Now his followers are causing problems, and if they get the Romans all worked up, they're all in trouble, okay? They're going to lose their position. They're going to lose their money. They're going to lose everything. So they are very, very frustrated. So they put them in jail until the next morning because this is later in the day. It says about 3 o'clock when Peter and John go to the temple, and the man gets healed. And so all the crowd gathers, they preach. So it's getting late. It's getting towards sunset, that kind of stuff. And the religious leaders did not meet at night. At least they weren't supposed to. That's one of the things that made the trial of Jesus illegal. They did it at nighttime. Okay? But the Sanhedrin, the, the religious leaders, the, the, the ruling body of the Jewish people, they would meet in the morning. So they threw them in jail overnight. That was part of the intimidation too. Okay? Let me ask you a question. This is a side issue. Do you think Peter and John were in God's will when they reached out and healed the guy? I mean, God healed him, but they, they reached out to the guy and the guy was healed. Do you think they were in the middle of God's will when that happened? Yeah. Do you think they were in the middle of God's will when they were preaching the gospel and these people were listening and then it ends up with people getting saved? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, if they were in the middle of God's will, why did God let this happen? I mean, if you're in the middle of God's will, isn't everything supposed to go perfect? No, no problems, no difficulties. Obviously not. We all laugh. But don't we feel that way? We're really trying to do what God wants us to do. In fact, we're being used in ministry. We're telling people about Jesus. And then everything falls apart, right? Well, we're not getting special treatment or unspecial treatment. That's the way life goes, isn't it? Dorothy, did you want to say something? That's right. That's the promise of Jesus we don't want to claim. When Jesus promised in this world, we're going to have trouble. But he's overcome the world, okay? But why did God let that happen? Because there was an ultimate objective. What happened as a result of this? Yes, they were jailed, but what happened? More people were added to the, to the, to the, to the church. And as we're going to see in our story tonight, Peter and John get a chance, Peter speaking again, to share the same message with the highest ruling body of the Jewish nation. Do you think if Peter and John had gone to the chief priest or whoever was in charge, the captains would say, hey, listen, we want to speak to the Sanhedrin. Forget it. They get ushered right in, right? Now, they're not very responsive, but if you read the book of Acts a little bit later on, it says that a number of the chief priests began to believe in Jesus. A number of the Pharisees began to believe. And I can't help but wonder how many of those seeds were planted when Peter and John show up before the the, 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 the um, Sanhedrin in this story. All right? God's got a plan. And to carry out his plan, we're going to face intimidation. We're going to face bullying. We may face persecution. We're going to face pushback. But that's okay. God's going to use it. Okay? I like this quote. I came across it in one of my um, commentaries when I was studying. It says, They were able to arrest Christ's messengers, but they could not stop the spread of Christ's message. So, 
Second part of the story is the Sanhedrin questioned Peter and John. Look at verses 5 to 7. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, okay, when the Sanhedrin would meet, they'd be in kind of a half circle, all right? A couple rows and so on. It says they set them in the midst. They're standing in the middle. They're, they're kind of half surrounded by all these antagonistic guys, all right? And it says, as they set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you. I read too far. I was supposed to read their question. I'm sorry. So the Sanhedrin, I just got into the story. So the Sanhedrin questioned John. The Sanhedrin is sort of like the Jewish Senate and Supreme Court all wrapped up together. It's 70 men plus the high priest. So it's 71 men. Made up mainly of Sadducees, like I said, the rich ruling elite, the scribes who are the ones who know the most about God's word, the Pharisees, the group I already described, and the elders of the people. The people that were considered wise because they were older. How many of you are older? So we got to be wise, right? All right. So these were the rulers of the Jewish people. True, Rome was in charge, so they had limited authority, but Rome let them have quite a bit of authority. All right. And this is basically the same group that had convicted, uh, condemned and convicted Jesus. So keep that in mind. Peter and John are showing up to the same people that just about three months before had turned, con- condemned Jesus, turned him over to Pilate to be crucified. So something very similar could happen. This is a serious deal. This is a big deal. All right? And they said, who gave you this authority? The third part of the story, Peter answered by pointing them to Jesus. So we'll jump back in and I'll pick it back up. Where I started to, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man had been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, or the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, it's not the main point of what we're looking at tonight, but note here. The exact men that were instrumental in having Jesus crucified, God is offering them a chance to be saved. Because God loves everybody. No matter how badly they've sinned, no matter how badly they've rejected Christ, no matter how badly they've fought against Christ and his plan and his purpose. Okay? So Peter answers by pointing them to Jesus. I mean, immediately. It's just, he doesn't defend himself. He just says, Jesus is the one that brought it all about. Okay? It makes me think of something that Peter's going to write later. And we studied this last year. We studied the book of, or the letter of 1 Peter. But in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, Peter says, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And Peter is definitely living this out. Now, it says that Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. He has these words to say. When we get the application, we're going to see why he knew exactly what to say. And that same ability, that same resource is available to us. So as we go on in the story, you may say, you're kind of rushing it. Well, I want to spend more time on the application than the story, all right? So number four, the Sanhedrin responds with threats. Okay, jumping down to verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men. Now, please 
uh, understand, this doesn't mean they were stupid, all right? It doesn't mean that they didn't have education. Um, most Jewish uh, boys had a decent education growing up by their fathers at first and then by the synagogue, that kind of thing. What this is saying is that these guys did not have formal religious training, but they were talking like they did, okay? So when they perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, we don't know why he's there. It's like, was he arrested with the apostles? Or did they call him back the next day as a witness? Or, but somehow the man that was healed is right there with them. Okay, They had nothing to say in opposition. It's like, what could they say? But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for they are all praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. You know, it's interesting that these religious leaders, they are so concerned that the status quo not be disrupted, that life go on as normal, and that they put down anybody who disagrees with them, that they totally ignore the fact that this, this phenomenal miracle had taken place. But because there was no way to deny it, it's like, what do we do? And if we do do something of significance, the people are going to rebel against us. Felix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We're going to be looking. It's interesting because next week we're going to look at another time they get arrested. For the same thing, okay? And it's like, what are we going to do with them now? And one of their own teachers is saying, you know what? We've got to be very careful what we do because, you know, we might find ourselves fighting against God. If this isn't God, it's going to die out. If it is, we can't win. All right, so we'll look at that next week. But, um, yeah, so they, they, they resort to threats. They're definitely trying to intimidate them. And it's, it's interesting because, um, you know how if you keep studying God's Word, you learn, learn new stuff all the time? You know, I've been studying God's Word for a long time, uh, f- 52 years now. And I came across something this last week. It's like I'd never heard that before. Um, but I know it's real. I came across it in a number of sources. And that is that according to Jewish law at this time, um, if someone was guilty and arrested of something that was not a capital crime, you know, be put to death, that if they were ignorant of what they'd done was wrong, you had to give them a warning. And then if they did it again then you could punish them more severely. And that's exactly what's happening. They're giving them a very strong warning. And we're going to see in the lesson next week, when they get arrested again, they don't get off with just a warning. They get beaten. They get flogged. They continue to get threatened. All right? In fact, the Expositor's Bible Commentary says, Jewish law held that a person must be aware of the consequences of his crime before being punished for it. This meant that the common people had to be given a legal admonition before witnesses and could only be punished for an offense when they relapsed into a crime after due warning. So the Pharisees are not just intimidating them and saying, well, we don't, can't do anything else. They're laying the groundwork that if they don't stop doing what they're doing, 
we can take greater steps. I mean, I, don't, I want to ask how many of you have ever gotten a warning from a policeman <laughs> instead of being taken to the full extent of the law, you know. But we understand that a little bit in our culture, too, okay? So the last part of the story, the believers responded by asking, I should have said asking God, for protection, right? No. They didn't ask for protection. They went back and said, God, help us to keep doing it. Look at it in verses 23 to 32. It says, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And then it goes on to some praise and saying, you know, the, the people are coming against you and they're coming against Jesus and this, that and the other. And they crucified Jesus and um you had a plan to bring about what you wanted to have done. Now look, jump down to verse 29. It says, Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. You know, when we're threatened, what do we pray about? I'd be tempted to say, Lord, protect me. Lord, help me. I don't want this to happen no more. You know, and I'm not saying that that wasn't a concern of theirs. I'm not saying that they didn't pray that too. But what we have recorded here is that they said, God, they've threatened us. Help us to keep on doing the right thing. Okay? Okay. So I want to spend the rest of our time, and that's why I kind of rushed through the story a little bit. How do we overcome intimidation? All right? We may not face it as badly as they did. But we probably have. We probably will. There may come a time that we face even more. But how do we overcome intimidation? Uh, you know, back in verse 16, Felix quoted a minute ago. The guy says, what shall we do with these men? Because the religious leaders didn't know what to do. Power of God was manifested. The man was healed. Lives were changed. All because these disciples were living out the call of God on their lives. Okay, And it caused a great stir. And in the same way, whenever believers really live for God, it will cause a stir. Believers will stand out if we're living the way we should. At least we should stand out, okay? And the world will respond in a negative way. There's so many different ways that the world can respond. What are some of the ways that the world responds to believers who are really living out the light and the world is against that? What are some of the ways that they respond? What would you say? They can try to humiliate you. Mm-hmm. What? Mock you. Uh huh. What else? Yeah, they can. Yeah, they, they'll call us names. You know, they'll try to make us look bad. You know, those are some of the nicer things they can do for us. To us. Yeah, Chris. Parable of the what? Yeah, the parable of the soils is how people respond to the word of God, and that certainly is part of it. If we're living out and proclaiming the word of God, some reject it, you know, and some they accept it, but it's choked out by other things. There's a lot of different ways the world responds. They can reject us, ostracize us. Um, I don't know if any of you, you don't have to, again, raise your hands, but when you became a Christian, certain family members didn't want to be around you anymore, you know, that kind of thing. Um, You know, there's certain parts of the world and certain other religions, Muslims especially, you become a Christian... You're cut off, you know. Um, 
That was true in the Jewish faith, too, in some places. You were cut out of the synagogue, which wasn't just where you went to worship. It's where all the social everything took place, you know, social, business, everything. Um, talk about us, ignore us, belittle us, try to intimidate us, threaten us. Um, you know, there's, there's kind of an attitude, I think, we see in this story that is very prevalent today. Um, we respect your right to your religious belief, just don't impose that belief on anybody else. Right? In other words, um, don't speak out loud or act on what you believe. Because when we do, it makes people feel convicted. You know, it opposes what they believe and what they want to live for and how they want to live for. And it's interesting because the word intolerant is like they say we're intolerant. We should be tolerant of everybody, but they don't want to be tolerant of us. Right? Norris, you had your hand up. You could end up not getting a promotion at work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what's so funny is people say the Bible doesn't amount to anything. It's just a bunch of made up stories and stuff, but they fight so hard. You know, you don't see near as many people in groups trying to ban Aesop's fables from the library, you know, <laughs> all that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah. Yeah, but Peter and John wouldn't go along, right? They didn't respond to the threat by being quiet. And again, this is a serious situation. These are the same people responsible for putting Jesus to death. Um, I want us to focus with the last little bit we have of, with verse 13. Because when we talk about how do we overcome intimidation, deal with it, we find it in verse 13. It says, now when, this is talking about the religious leaders, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. It says they saw the boldness. Another word that's used in translation is courage of Peter and John. Now, Peter has always known, been known for his zeal and his energy, but not always for his courage, right? Because we know him, one of the main things we know him for is his denial of Jesus. He didn't have a lot of courage that night, and, and, and we talked about that when we dealt with that lesson. You know, we don't have room to point a lot of fingers. If we had in the same situation, we might have been, we would have been definitely been tempted to say and do the same things. We might would have, okay? But now it's different. Where did this courage come from? I mean, he was kind of a coward that night, but now he's standing up in front of the people that put Jesus to death and could do the same thing to him and says, you're the one that crucified Jesus. And this is what, you know, preaching the gospel. What makes the difference? Okay, so let's look at these four things that we see here, okay? That we have... The ability to have in our lives, too, to help us with the intimidation that comes from the world and from the devil, too. Okay, number one, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. In verse 8, it says, you know, after they ask him, what authority, by what name did you do this? It says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. Now, think about this. This is Acts chapter 4. Okay? In Acts chapter 2... A couple days, a couple weeks before this is the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes down and fills all his people. Was Peter filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost? Yes. So why does it say here that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit? He was already filled with the Holy Spirit. Huh? Because what? Well, this is indicating that he was filled again. Okay, so the point is, is that the being filled with the Holy Spirit is not just a one time event. It's a it's an ongoing experience. As I preached close a couple weeks ago at Pentecost and such, you know, we get filled with the Holy Spirit, but we need that fresh filling all the time. All right. Um, They had already been filling. In fact, maybe you noticed that when they got to the end of the prayer, 
And it said they were all praying together. And they said, God, give us more boldness. It says the Holy Spirit came down. And they were all filled. So Peter was filled for the third time. I mean, maybe fourth, fifth, sixth, for all we know. But there's a fresh anointing and empowering of the Holy Spirit. And we need that in our own lives. Okay? Being filled with the Spirit is not just a one-time event. It's an ongoing experience of being under the control and anointing of the Holy Spirit. It involves a special gifting of power for special occasions. And we need to trust God for that, especially when we face difficulties. And this is true not just intimidation from the world. We face temptation. But this specific situation, Jesus talked about a couple times to his disciples. He says, you're going to be arrested. You're going to face antagonization. Yeah, that. (laughs) And intimidation, he says, but God's spirit is going to help you. Matthew chapter 10, verses 17 to 20. Jesus said, beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. A different situation, but similar. Luke 21, 12 to 15. Jesus said, but before all this, he's talking about the end times. They will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogue and prisons. You'll be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. So being filled with the Holy Spirit and God will guide us. Now, please understand this is not instruction to never study your Bible to never learn more Bible knowledge, to never learn how to better be a witness or anything. This is just saying that as you are going through life and you're living for Jesus and you're walking with God, if you face intimidation, don't get too uptight because God's going to guide you and lead you as you're yielded to him. Okay, So be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Ephesians 5.18, Paul is writing and he says, Do not get drunk with the wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And the word that she's being continuously Filled. Okay, every day, God, guide and lead me and empower me and help me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Okay. Second thing is spend time with Jesus. Overcoming intimidation. Spend time with Jesus. Uh, going back to verse 13 of chapter 4. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. As I said, this doesn't mean they were stupid or had no education. They just had not received formal Religious training. It'd be sort of like going to hear somebody preach, and they just preach a powerful message. They know what they're talking about. They know God's word, but they never, ever went to Bible college or anything like that. Okay? Now, does that mean that God is against formal Bible education? We should just go live life and just be led by the Spirit? No. Both are good. The Bible says to study to show yourself approved. Okay? And, uh, you know, I went through undergraduate, I went through graduate studies, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed them. But you know what? That by itself is not enough. And I would also say that if someone is called to ministry and they have the opportunity to increase their education, they should do that too. Because the leading and power of the Holy Spirit is enough, but it's enhanced by study. You see what I'm saying? And so, again, this is not talking about you know, that you don't have to study or whatever, but the important thing is to be with Je- spend time with Jesus. Yeah, go ahead, Janet, what were you going to say? Oh, 
Uh, yes, the, I'm sorry, the PowerPoint is wrong. Um, it's not spend time with time, it's spend time with Jesus. I did that very quickly this afternoon. It's spend time with Jesus, okay? So again, um, it's sort of like, you know, they didn't have the opportunity to have some deep religious spiritual training. But because they'd spent time with Jesus, right? Three, three and a half years, they'd travel with him, they'd live with him, he'd taught them, they saw his example, he sent them out to do things on their own. Okay, so they had been with Jesus physically. We can't be with Jesus physically, right? But we can still be with Jesus, right? How do we do that? Through his word, prayer, our interaction together like we're doing tonight. Okay, so spending time with God, spending time with Jesus through his word and prayer, making him an integral part of our everyday life. All right, let's go on. We're starting to run out of time. Number three, determine to obey God. Determine to obey God. Later on, um, when they threaten them, what does Peter say to them in verses 19 to 20? Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. But we cannot but speak about what we have seen and heard. A question we all need to think about is, do we feel the same way about our faith and our relationship and our experience with God? Has it so impacted our lives that it's hard for us to be quiet? Boy, it got quiet, didn't it? (laughs) Yeah, we need to wrestle with that. But basically, he says, listen, you tell us this. We think God's telling us this. Who should we listen to? You know, we're listening to God. And they're going to say something very similar. We'll see it next week in chapter 5, verse 29. He says, we must obey God rather than men. But doesn't God say we should obey the people in authority over us? He does. And these religious leaders are in authority over them. And that's the only exception to that rule is we do need to obey those in authority over us unless they contradict something that God has told us because he is the higher authority. Okay? Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Now, I want to point out one other thing. We're going to see it next week, too, that they disagree with these religious leaders. They said, we're going to obey God and not you, but they did it very respectfully. Okay? They did it very respectfully. You know, if... We ever are called to be involved in civil disobedience or whatever, it should be done with respect. My understanding, because I've not done a deep study on it, but that's the way Martin Luther King Jr. was. Okay? Very much involved in civil disobedience, but he did it with respect. Yeah. So the fourth one is this turn to God for strength. Turn to God for strength. In uh, verses 23 and 24, we read it earlier that when they were released, They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lift their voices together to God. What was the first thing they did? Say, God, we got to pray about this. we got to pray about this. And as I said, they didn't pray for deliverance. They didn't pray for protection. They prayed for boldness. So as we wrap this all up, the, the last verse in that chapter, it says, When they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So now everything's going to be smooth sailing, right? Nope, they're going to be arrested again next chapter. Look at it next week. Now, let me just say this. That everything we just talked about, this example, is not just how we overcome intimidation. This is how we should live our Christian life. Because this is what's going to help us walk in victory. This is what's going to help us make a difference in our world. All right? Um, There's other things we could say, but what we see in this story, be filled with the Spirit every day. Spend time with Jesus. Determine to obey God and turn to God for his strength. And to wrap this up, Paul said in 2 Timothy 1.7, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. 
God wants to work in us and through us. Give us victory and help us make a difference in our world. It will not all be smooth sailing. We may get a lot of pushback, but God's going to help us, and it will make a difference. In fact, some of you may have that testimony that you did a lot of pushing back earlier in your life. But because people were willing to stand up and still love you and speak the truth to you, whether it's a family member, a co-worker, a friend, or whatever, now you're serving Jesus. So may God help us to do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time that we've had in your word tonight to once again look at Peter's example and what you did in and through him. Even in the face of a very threatening situation, very dangerous situation, but he still did the right thing. And God, we don't face things near that threatening, near that dangerous, dangerous, Lord God, but it is intimidating sometimes facing some of the people that we face and the things that are said and done to us. I pray that you just help us to always respond the way Jesus would, Lord, the way Peter did, that we would with love take a stand for what is right and good and true and speak the truth, Lord God, always reaching out to others to hopefully help them come to know Jesus themselves. Father, help us when we face intimidation from the enemy through other people or just the enemy himself. We're facing temptation or we're facing difficulty to just trust in you and do the right thing. Father, we thank you and we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.